perfect offering There is a That's how the light gets in. Welcome back to the Thinking God podcast. We have been on a brief hiatus for a number of reasons. The holidays hit us first, but then we had some incredible uh, technical issues and problems with our hardware. So sorry we've been down a few weeks. Appreciate your patience. And I'm glad you're back because we've got a great guest today. It's Jennifer Knapp. She's a singer and a songwriter and a person who has a lot of, of things to say that, that people need to hear. And that's one of the things we always want to do here on the Thinking God podcast. Jennifer Knapp made her name as a songwriter in contemporary Christian music, but she also has written music that appeared in motion pictures and television programs and other places you may have heard some of her music. Tremendous talent. Um, she took a hiatus and moved to Australia for a number of years. And when she came back, she announced that she was a lesbian and the sexuality thing created all sorts of issues with the uh, her Christian music career and contract and all that kind of thing. But she's continued now to grow and to express her faith in light of all that. And we were, we were excited to have a chance to sit down and talk with her not that long ago. Well, first of all, uh, I really like your music. I've been listening to some of the stuff and going back and listening. I'd heard some of the other stuff. I think I heard... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the first time I heard your music. It was, it was one of your songs was played on a television show, right? Uh yeah. I mean, there've been a few. I've, I think it's been a long time, but um, you've been doing music a long yeah, time. Yeah, I made some. Yeah, well, yeah, true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as far as like popular television, I had some spots in Smallville and yeah. Felicity. That's going back a ways, but right. yeah. Well, I hear all sorts of vibes in your voice. I hear a little Becca Bramett, a little Joni Mitchell, a little Ashley Cleveland, a little Grace Potter. Who, who were sort of some of your musical influences? Yeah, I mean, you're the vein of folks. I mean, I, I grew up listening a lot to country music, which was against my will. And then, <laughs> <laughs> not really. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, that kind of explains where I have an affinity for acoustic uh, drive of what I was doing, and then I think around about the '90s, it was called alternative. I started to listen to groups like um, B52s out of Athens, Georgia, and Indigo Girls. Probably came on a little bit later. Um, yeah, but it's kind of a combination of that. I think probably one of the most pivotal voices when I look back was Tracy Chapman. Yeah. Um, her her fast car record uh, just thoroughly stopped me in my tracks. It was like one of those moments where I felt like there was a rescuing from the country music that I just somewhere imagined that I was too cool to do at the time when I was younger. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the that folk artist, and, I, you know, the, I didn't have a lot of expo exposure to folk artists until well after I started performing. And, um, and so then I started to kind of get really curious, and artists that Tracy Chapman led me into to Patty Griffin um, obviously, you know, Joni Mitchell had been there a long time before I got there, but, you know, I probably, I was probably well into my twenties and into my music career before I started contemplating. And like, for me as an artist, interestingly enough, I didn't really kind of aspire to be like somebody else, but as I started to kind of write and I picked up my own guitar and had my own journey, I started, I felt actually as a woman and as a guitar player, particularly in faith-based community, I felt really alone. Like I didn't see anyone around mm -hmm. me kind of doing what I was doing. And so I was looking for other voices that did that. And then of course, 
to the CCM genre. I discovered artists like Margaret Becker and Ashley Cleveland, um, Christine Dente out of the gray. Um, and Wayne Kirkpatrick actually did a lot of songwriting with an artist um, by the name of Susan Ashton. And so the poetry of that really kind of gave me uh, some inspiration. And in, I think kind of all of those, I realize there's a lot of voices that I've just said, but I mean, I think every artist in some way is a part of the legacy of who they've been been influenced by. And you know, I've never really been able to tie it down except for I just love artists that are creating their own music and writing from their heart. At what point in your life did you realize you had some talent in music? I mean, when how early did you realize you were talented? And uh... yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a weird story. Like I said, I, n- I never really imagined that I'd have a career doing what I'm doing now. But I mean, I, I got started in music um, in school. I was actually a band nerd. I I grew up playing uh, trumpet. I went to college as a, you know with a, an eye on being involved in, in classical music, really. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college that I picked up guitar at like 18 years old, and I did it more of a more of an academic type of thing. Well, you know, I should have a concept of how stringed instruments work, and so I went out and bought a guitar at a flea shop for like 50 bucks, and had no idea what I was doing, and just put my music chops to that. And it wasn't until I started kind of noodling around a guitar that my friends were saying, "Wow, that's really cool! Like we like what you're singing, and we like what you're playing." and I just kind of went from there, but, you know, in terms of that, I didn't really, you know, even when I mentioned, like, artists like Tracy Chapman as an influence, I was listening to her long before I ever imagined doing something like what she did, so it's it's kind of bizarre that I never really aspired to do it, but it wasn't until I started playing, yeah, my friends kind of forced my hand into it, you know, like, when we all get together, they play something, like, okay, well, all right, sure. Well, at that point, was it already uh, beginning to play a role in your faith journey as well, or was it, I mean, just something you were doing and it kind of molded into that, moved into that? Yeah, yeah I, I certainly have to give, like, like, the faith part of it is such a huge part of the narrative for me. I mean, I, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's it's both, like, it's a double-sided coin, right? It's part of good story and part of bad story, because in, in part of it, you know, I, I was starting to play, um, I was starting, I remember I was playing a lot of Cowboy Junkie covers at the time, and they were pretty simple music, three chords, and, you know, that it was about on my skill level. So I, I <laughs> remembered playing a lot of Cowboy Junkie covers. And I began to get re- really involved in the church when I was around 18, 19 years old in college, and the push around my community was like, you can't play secular music anymore. <laughs> you you have to, you know, why didn't you write about your faith? And so I kind of took that to heart. Um, but at the same time, I found it really confusing as well that, you know, there was this kind of cultural expectation at the time for the people that I was surrounded by that you couldn't really, you, the idea of Christian identity, even, you know, 20 years ago, was really pushing towards separating yourself out and not being, you know, not listening to secular music, not listening or, you know, being, you know, there's this real drive to kind of appear differently inside of the world. And that was just really a bizarre concept to me that I was supposed to throw out these people that kind of made me see the world in in amazing ways. Um, But I think I put that frustration into my writing. Um, A lot of my early work is, is kind of trying to balance out this, this moving spiritual experience that I was having 
inside of a culture that sometimes simultaneously felt like it was rejecting me. <laughs> and uh, did you grow I, up I in think, churches? I mean, was that a part of your your experience growing up? And you know, yes and no. I mean, you know, I'm like I'm a rural Kansas kid. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in, in a small town where quote unquote everybody's Christian, but that it's it's a bit of a misnomer as well because you know we went. You know, I would say that my family wasn't, you know, I obvi- I didn't grow up in a family of atheists. We just didn't go to church on every Sunday. It wasn't a lifestyle, so to speak. Um, it was just, you know, we put every, you know, every weekend I'd go over to my grandma's and she'd pray over every meal and it was an earnest prayer. And she used to force me into pantyhose and go to church on Sundays, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So, I mean, I was familiar with it, but you know, my, my entrance into Christian music had a lot to do with evangelical culture, particularly in the 90s, and this idea, you know, that you're supposed to, like, everything that you do, everything that you're sp- you you say, and everything that you embody on a daily basis is supposed to, to be visibly and demonstrably, quote-unquote, Christian. And, you know, that's um, and I say that, and it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to all people. Mm-hmm. But in my locale, there is a, a, definitely an expectation that, you know, my, the, and the result of that, you know, with the question you're asking about my family, did I grow up, you know, did, we didn't grow up religious, but we had some kind of understanding of God and faith. And it wasn't until I, I got into the evangelical community that it became this, this issue. Um, and I obviously dedicated a great deal of my life and still do to contemplating those types of issues, but it was a real clash of, you know, kind of that American identity, I think, is probably, um, you know, that we, you know, people think, or you'll hear people say, you know, America is a Christian nation, that, you know, that there's a difference in, in how people express that, and so the way that I grew up, it was just a totally wild, a different experience by the time I got in my 20s, where the expectation was to do and be um, as much Christian, quote-unquote, that you could possibly be. Right. That, that was what I was going to ask you, and I want to get back to that in a second, but at what point when you were, you bought a guitar at, at the uh, pawn shop, and you started playing, your friends say you sound really good, your, your faith sort of started working its way into that, at what point did you think, hey, I might can make a living doing this? I, you know, I never, I had no idea that Christian music existed as a genre, so there wasn't really any possibility of that. And I mean, I, you know, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, I, I ended up supporting my way. I think the last year I was in school, I started pretty much supporting my way through college um, by just going out and doing gigs. I mean, I thirty five in my little pickup truck every weekend. I wasn't in school. I was driving up into Nebraska and uh, Iowa and Kansas that. Do you know doing lots of coffee house shows and stuff? But I don't know that I necessarily viewed it as a career. I mean, there's I'm pretty pragmatic at the end of the day. Um, you know that that saying where you know singers sing and they say, "Hey kid, don't quit your day job." <laughs> I kind of looked at it like that, and you know even to the point. But I mean, I was working enough, and mostly I just kept responding. You know, people just kept asking me to play, and I go, "All right." And it's still kind of my philosophy today. I mean, I I, I count it like a real joy and a pleasure to be able to make uh, a living at this point, being able to concentrate on something I truly love to do. But the, even today, I don't really even have the expectation that that's going to go on forever. Um, and I, I say this to aspiring artists all the time. I think 
and my my personal experience has been if people ask you to play, then that's a real gift. And, and to be able to get the opportunity to do that is really only, you know, I'll continue to write at home by myself. But if nobody asks me to go out and play in public, I don't necessarily try and force my hand at that. I've just been, you know, whatever reason, very fortunate to have people to continue to ask me to, to play in that way. Did, did you ever feel like you were just talking about there was a period there um, when uh, – and I don't know a better way to put it, but if you if you couldn't find a Bible verse that lined up with what you were saying, it wasn't a Christian thing. Did you ever feel any pressure when you were in that that field to 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 change what you were doing to make the records happier, the record companies happier? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, double sided coin again. You know, I mean, there's there's a part of me that writes because I want to write. You know, um, whether anyone's looking or paying attention to it, it's it's part of my own personal expression. So. I think a lot of that has come out in my art. Um, but I, I remember kind of early on, particularly as an artist, um, and I, when I started to work within the church, a lot of the instruction that I got at the time was, you know, concepts of leadership, you know, the space that as a, a person of faith and, and standing in front of a group of people, you become responsible for being not only, you know, a witness of yourself, but a witness of that faith. Um, so there was a lot of conversation in and around me and a lot of people that were uh, very concerned about my spiritual health and, and leading me and trying to teach me in a particular direction. So I took it very seriously, that you know, that role and the responsibility of it. The trickle-down of that is, is yeah, you you know, part of, part of that process was an encouragement to be theologically correct, <laughs> you know, when, you, when I created art. And so I thought, you know, one of the best ways to do that was to ten- continue to go back to Scripture. Um, and so a lot of that does show up in my music as a result of that. Um, but I also think, you know, I also kind of worked really hard to wrestle with those texts. I mean, when I would go back to 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 some of that stuff and while I was being encouraged by people around me, perhaps, and sometimes it's quite loudly and quite vocally, yes, you have to write something like this, fill in the blank. Um, I I never really was satisfied with just believing everything that I was told, <laughs> you know. Because I think, and I think part of that was because I just didn't really grow up in you know a Bible culture, um, you know, every Sunday or something like that. And so when I began when I began to read these texts and began to be involved in Christian community, you know, I would listen to what was being said, and then I'd also try to apply whether or not that you know, was making sense, not just doing what everybody told me to do, um, but trying to be somewhat critical in the most positive way about it, to, to truly learn something, right? Not to just read it and then regurgitate it, but to, to kind of have it lay in your heart. And so that's what I did with my music, and I just put it all through there. And there were times that, you know, as an art, and I think sometimes in the artist community you'll hear this, that, you know, it's what, what we express isn't always theologically sound, <laughs> You know, that, that this space is sometimes we're, you know, just thoroughly angry and the ending isn't happy and it's conflicted and, 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 you know, we're always, you know, I think that's an important part of this narrative and I like to put that in my music too. And there were times and it ultimately led to my departure from Christian music because as I grew up and as I reached my late twenties and had traveled with my faith for more years, I started to, to feel that I couldn't necessarily push the evangelical agenda that was asked of me as a as a profession, and I started to to kind of 
be disillusioned with that process and it, it ultimately it threatened to kill me and my art it threatened to kill my faith and I ended up having to to leave it all for a good long while before I felt like I could find my own voice again well and that's I wanted to mention if somebody's listening to this podcast and maybe you just got out of Gitmo or something if missed this part of the story uh, you were doing pretty well in the contemporary Christian music industry and you had quite a few songs that were uh, even transcending that space like we mentioned and then you made a decision to speak out about sexuality and, and things changed quickly. How difficult was that decision? You said it took a while and, and, and it really was challenging. Uh, how, how long did it take you to make that decision and how difficult was it? <laughs> well, I think most people on the, in the LGBTQ spectrum would say that it's, there's not much of a decision to be made. <laughs> and as far as, you know, who we are and what just kind of inhabits our body, you know, I think sometimes that's a misnomer is that I made a decision to be gay, and I'm not implying that you're saying that. No, no, I was just, um, my, my point was to, to, yeah. to talk about it, that, that, not the decision. Yeah, so no. decision yeah. to talk about it was not was what I was getting at, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, it wasn't until, you know, I was a, when it, when it comes into terms of my own sexual orientation, um, this and this is kind of an important part, is that, I was pretty much a late bloomer. Um, the, 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 as my role inside of Christian music, um, uh, I just shut down my entire dating life. I mean, if I, it was an interesting experience that I had if I was in a relationship to, you know, if I seemed in a relationship with a guy, people would be like, oh, you know, avoid the appearance of evil. So I found like all my relationships were problematic, male or female. People just were so concerned about whether I did or didn't have sex or whatever. And so for 10 years, I just shut it off and I had a completely celibate life and didn't consider my own personal needs. And so it wasn't until I'd gotten kind of disillusioned with Christian music and decided to leave that my own sexuality got to be a part of my own conversation again. So it wasn't, I think a lot of people misunderstand and think that I left CCM because of my own sexual orientation that I just, that wasn't even on the cards yet. So I left CCM. I, at that point in time was able to go, wow, okay, yeah, this is, I'm gay and that's a, that's a thing. So I had a lot of time away from the public light to kind of deal with what that meant to me as an individual and as a person of faith. And, that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, it was, it was, it's terrifying um, to realize, you know, I thought it was probably about 2000, late 2002, 2003, where I kind of had to come to terms with who I was as a person that wasn't likely to change. It made a lot of sense. And, um, and what did that mean in terms of this space? And a lot of the community that I'd grown up around had only ever admonished LGBTs. I'd never heard a positive um, spiritual things said about that, and you know that's that's a really difficult spot to be in when and a lot of people of faith or LGBT will say this. You know, there's there's two parts of your life that are absolutely 100% important to you. You know, it's who you you know your identity and who you are as a person and your faith, and those things don't just drop off or you know fall in half just because everyone says that you should be bifurcated in some way. Is still part of your wholeness. So, you know, uh, you know, that's all to say that. I mean, I, I spent seven years away from Christian music and or away from music. Period. And I, I definitely assumed because my professional career had built, been built in the faith community 
that once I'd re- realized my sexual orientation, I generally assumed that that career was just no longer an option. So I went on and did my own thing, but after about seven years, I just thoroughly missed my craft. I, I missed the art. I missed writing. And kind of going back to the original story, you know, I've always played because people have asked me to kind of keep playing. And when I started creating music again, that was a really terrifying experience because I kind of anticipated and it. And it turned out to be true that, you know, I, I played music and people asked me to play it. And then they were also asking me under what conditions. Um, and so that's when it wasn't until 2010 when I began working in public again, it became necessary to talk about my sexual orientation as well. Because as, you know, a lot of Christians were really excited that I was back and performing again, but I also felt like it was an important thing to be honest about the, the person that they were um, coming back to listen to, and so that became an entirely new narrative now for what I call Career 2.0. Well, the honesty thing is one of those things I think has become a challenge um, in so many factors for people of faith. Uh, I mean, you see the, the the numbers of even you know people who have chosen to make careers as pastors burning out at record pace, their families falling apart, uh, stress levels because they can't be honest enough to seek community and talk about who they are and what's going on in their lives. Um, you had a lot of people that were that supported you, but you also, there were a lot of people who were pretty unkind to you during that. How, how did you manage to kind of hold on to your faith and hold on to hope in light of some of the nasty stuff people were saying? <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that I always say is that um, in terms of like the, the coming out moment, you know, in that, in that kind of time you know, in that period of time, you know, I got everything that I expected, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then a lot that I didn't. And and what I truly expected was, you know, the the negative side of that and the pushback and, you know, burning hell lesbian and people burning CDs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, strangely enough, you know, that seeing that happen was kind of, I don't know, like because I kind of, prepared myself knowing that that was a gauntlet I was going to have to run through. Um, I was willing to do it, so I just kind of did it. Um, but what I was thoroughly surprised about is that this has become a conversation point that um, has actually asked me to engage my faith community. So um, when I, I somewhat anticipated when I came back to music and quite joyously anticipated that I would never have to talk to the Christian audience again. And it's, it sounds more angry than I mean it to sound. It's just I was really looking forward to being able to explore life and explore my art and even my own faith and spirituality in some way without having to worry about that being tied to my professional career and to the safety and, you know, being able to pay my rent. Um, but what I discovered in coming out is that this topic is just so so tied, I think, to the sense of who we are as people of faith. And it's not about this. To me, it, it actually transcends sexual orientation. Like you were talking about the, the burnout rates of people inside a faith community that that need a safe space to kind of contemplate, you know, the challenges of who we are as a people, what our faith means of us, you know, asks of us and changes within us. And it, it's a really vulnerable space to be in, I think, Regard, I think what the sexual orientation conversation has the opportunity to bring up in, inside of faith communities 
is that there are some things about us that that are necessary to be able to honestly and compassionately bring to the table um, instead of kicking us out of those spaces to be able to to bring that. Um, so that was a surprise to me. I'd, I'd really expected to kind of be able to disengage from my public interchange with faith and have that as a private thing. I was really super excited about being able to keep my my spiritual experience private, but um, the challenge of, the, of that has also been a blessing, to be able to be in a space where a lot of people really do want to have and experience their faith. They haven't lost it necessarily, but we're certainly struggling to find a community that's willing to embrace all of who we are within it. Who, who are some of the people or maybe books or just... Uh, that encouraged you and helped you along this path during that time to, to where, you're, where you are, what you're talking about now? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, this is where most people, if you haven't glazed over already, this is where most people's eyes glaze over. I mean, my, my experience was actually rather, as I'm finding out in retrospect, my where I went to read was actually pretty academic. Um, I left the country for a good five, five, six years, uh, almost eight years in total, actually. By the time I, was, I traveled a lot through Europe, I ended up living in Australia for several years. Um, I just could not wait to get out of America. <laughs> it was weird. Um, and in that space, like, just kind of disillusioned by this, you know, this pop culture Christian movement, I, I began to ask myself, um, you know, was was the Christianity that I knew in America the same way that Christianity was all over the world? And it's not that way, you know, as I went through Ireland, through the UK, and through, you know, Germany, France, Croatia. I'm not trying to brag, I'm just, I'm, it, there are just so many different kinds of people in the world, and all of those experiences and environments shape the process that, that people have in their faith. So, and I saw that in, in the various churches that I would go to, to the various religious landmarks that are older than even anything that I grew up with. So I went to answer the book question. I really started to dive into history and trying to answer that question. Like, is the Christianity that I have now and in my pocket and the way when I speak and when I say I'm a Christian, what does that mean? And it hasn't always been this way. Um, so I began to look back in history and I read, you know, one of my favorite books was from Karen Armstrong, A History of God. Um, she talks quite historically about the Abrahamic faith and Judaism and Islam and Christianity and kind of the history of how that came into being. Um, I read, uh, I found a lot of interest in the reading about the Reformation um, and the history about that. Uh, there's another book by, uh, a more recent book by Harvey Cox uh, called The Future of Faith that I found really interesting that he talked about this, this struggle I think a lot of us tend to have right now in this confusion between faith and belief, um, the distinction of, you know, the, the spiritual experience that we have in recognizing God and trying to worship and trying to carry that in our hearts some way, but also confusing that with orthodoxy or practice or the rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Is, is the spiritual experience simply saying, I believe in God and the flood had to happen, or you know, believing in factual things as opposed to, you know, understanding some kind of spiritual process as well. So I, I went pretty nerdy. I was pretty academic. It's it led me to now that, you know, right now I'm actually in the middle of a, 
working on my master's in theology as a side project <laughs> to all of the other things that I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, and in a sense, you know, that that kind of understanding the history of how my faith traditions were, to have a concept of why we struggle with humanity to to have a spiritual experience and sometimes, you know, create rules and identities around practices and specific ways of looking and being Christian and what those expectations are and how they vary from community to community was actually comforting to me in some way to be able to hold on to my own faith, to see that, you know, it's not as necessarily as narrow of a of an experience as sometimes I've been led to believe and and being able to go out, and I think that's one of the joys I actually love about being a musician is I've been able and had the extreme luxury of being able to go to different places. I mean, people worship different in Georgia than they do in Oregon and and in Michigan and in Kansas. We all have different experiences, and to be able to be kind and compassionate and listening to those other experiences, I think, sometimes gives us more hope rather than imagining that we should be um, kind of all having to have the same experience. It doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah, Peter Enns, uh, in, in his book, Incarnation and Inspiration, um, he also, has, the Bible tells me, so he talks about it a little bit more, but he talks about something similar. Uh, he writes about, um, our, do we choose to trust God or do we choose to trust the system that we're trying to protect, you know? And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. Like, recently I was actually reading some Paul Tillich. Oh, every, um, Tillich has suddenly gotten on everybody's bestseller list again. Everybody's reading Tillich again. It's interesting. Well, you know, it's, it is interesting. I'm, I'm going to nerd out for a second. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've read of his was post-World War II. Um, it's definitely a push into the modern world that's recognizable to us, you know, mm-hmm. to, to us now. And... And actually, too, as well, like around the, the time that a lot of philosophers were arguing that God is dead. I mean, World War II was such a crack in the soul of humanity um, that it was really hard to kind of conceptualize how God can continue to, to exist when we're living in the midst of something so horrendous. Um, and even in today, you know, in, in the, even this last week with the election results, and I'm sitting in a divinity school where all of us are sitting here asking the same question. I think that's, if I, in my mind, I mean, that's where Tillich resonates with me. And he's a pretty systematic guy, and he under, you know, has a great stake in understanding that there's value for us to be able to coherently talk about what it is that we believe and to systematically be consistent about how we, you know, how we live that out. Not just say it, not just think it, but, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things about Tillich that, that really resonates with me is that, um, it's a modern, it's a modern and intellectual way of being able to approach faith without having to release us from the mystery or the obligations of of honoring something greater than ourselves. And I think you mentioned this earlier. Uh, artists bring spirituality to the world in a variety of ways. And uh, this week, I couldn't help but thinking, particularly in a lot of yesterday, the fact that Leonard Cohen died. His his song anthem. You mentioned the cracks. Uh, you know, in anthem he says, "Ring the bells that we can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in." I hope, yeah. I hope the light gets in these cracks that are going on right now because it has been a dark week. Yeah, you know, and I, I was I was actually in the middle of doing a concert last night when when Leonard passed, and somebody gave me a post-it note, and it was just. It was just it was just like one of those weird moments where you realize that his contribute an artist like Leonard has has re- 
has contributed in an intuition, a spiritual intuition about, you know, how we feel and that mm-hmm. resonates with us. And I think that sometimes in in religious circles where we get concerned with, you know, what we represent, how we represent it, you know, if the model is, you know, that we have to vote in a way that, for example, represents our faith because we're obligated to in some way. But we also have to remember that we have to step back and there's just the, the intuitive part of it, the, 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 the part of human nature inside of us that doesn't always fit well within law and within rule. And it, it's, I always kind of go back to Paul for some reason. Paul said, you know, should, should I send all the more to the grace they may abound? And it's like, no, that's not the point. <laughs> The, you know, the point is that, that even when I, even when we are wholly human, that is, that is a moment, and I think Lennon Cohen did this so well, to show the juxtaposition of who we are and the crack in our own soul. Yeah. That, you know, when we are vulnerable enough to break and be willing to break in those moments, it's when we discover something really beautiful about our, not only about, you know, who we are, but our potential um, to be able to be gracious to one another. Yeah, and his final record was just amazing. I've, I'd already listened to it about twenty times, and when, I, like you said, when I heard the news, it was just, it was just another dark passage to a dark week. Um, well, yeah, it's a sense. Of, I think it's a sense of loss, you know, when when we have those voices that have taught us something deeper than we even know how to express ourselves. That, you know, we we should mourn that loss. Um, and and I, I, I'm just say one more thing. You know, it's like I think that's somewhat what we fight for as artists, and I think somewhat of the the discontent inside of our faith community. We don't want to have that kind of loss within us right now while we're still living. Yeah. If, if when, when faith sometimes raises more questions than it answers, I think we're getting closer to God. That's just where I've always come at it. Um, you, you're talking about a lot of the things you've learned in the past few years. Uh, tell me about how you've used those things and, and, and tell me a little bit about, about your inside out faith ministry. Cause you talked about at one point stepping away from it. Then you realized you're actually stepping into it deeper in a deeper way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, one, one of the extensions of, uh, of, you know, I, you know, I've gotten played music and it's great. And I, I certainly use art to explore my own faith at times, uh, I think my faith actually probably comes out in my art for sure. Although I'm not necessarily on a mission to to. Uh, I'm, I'm there in nothing that I'm doing right now. I'm not really compelled to spread any kind of ideology or religion in that sense. Probably an ideology. <laughs> I'll have to cough that one. But um, you know, I think in, in the experience that I had with personally, in in the fact that I hadn't necessarily lost my faith, and it was. Part of what informed me and actually empowered me to find my own ad- identity and to be honest about my my sexuality as well as my spiritual experience. Um, and, and part of it's the art, I think, and just being present in that place. People just kept asking me to tell that story. Um, and Inside Out Faith is a is a nonprofit. Um, kind of just uh, at this point the the goal of that is just being able to be in a space reminding that inside of faith communities our LGBT voices are important. Um, there is theological disagreement. Um, I don't believe I, I'm, I'm somewhat nihilistic I think when thinking that we're ever going to eradicate that theology from our history books. 
but um, the idea is that for so long we actually haven't heard that LGBTs actually have vibrant spiritual lives. And so to, to be able to hear those stories and to be able to bring those stories to the fore is, is really the purpose and the mission at this point of Inside Out Faith. Um, a lot of the criticism about, you know, LGBTs that have been said in the past is, you know, people who have, who have lost their battle with being gay have lost their faith in some sense. And what we're discovering is as, as more and more people share their stories, it's actually not the case. We're, we're desperate for our faith communities. It's very much part of being able to be healthy and happy human beings. I know for me, uh, my faith has not only informed my own um, self-care and self-worth um, in regards to my sexual orientation, but it's also, it informs my relationship, um, you know, my intimate relationships as, as well as, you know, my other relationships around me. So the devastating effect of losing family and community over a theological point becomes a real sticking point. Um, and I think that's one of the ones, if, if I were to highlight, you know, a mission in some sense of, of what inside out faith is at that 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 point it's not necessarily the goal and then my goal has never been personally to tell people what they should believe but to shine a light on the fact that you know if we're going to fight for a theology that says lgbt's can't be included in the church we're going to show you the people and the cost of that effect um there are people that are being damaged by this families being torn apart and the argument is in my, you know, from my side of the fence, is what's tearing families apart is the theology. It's not the sexual orientation. So when we can look to many cases of people who have been allowed to keep faith inside of it, keep the sexual orientation and talk about it and bring that within their spiritual communities, and it actually makes them vibrant, um, compassionate, um, you know, life-giving spaces as opposed to the hostility when we try and shut that down. You've mentioned the word community a lot. Are, are you a part of a, an active faith community right now that's supportive and helpful for you? Um, yeah, no. I mean, I'm not a, like I'm not a card carrying church member. Yeah. Um, ironically, I'm a, a lot like the people that I'm surrounded with. You know, I'll go out to a show, we'll do a concert, and there's a lot of people there. And I think if you get a raise of hands of who's at church every Sunday, it's pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the challenge of that is, is like for me personally, I won't speak for anybody else, but you know the the tradition, the parts of the tradition that I meet, I miss at times. I can I'm satisfied with going maybe a few times a year, but my community's built up in other ways now. Um, it's you know with a community of people that are my friends, that are people of faith, that we aren't necessarily organizing in, you know, under the umbrella of a denomination. We're just hanging out and having dinners and and getting together, you know, on a, a constant basis where that's part of our dialogue. You know, I'm in the divinity school um, where that's, I can't even tell you, it feels like church <laughs> five days a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's, I think that's part of where, what many people in my same boat are trying to contend with is what what is the new representation of that? Because, you know, culturally, when I grew up, you were either a family that did or didn't go to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that talked about how much time you spend contemplating your faith and the consequences of the, that faith and practicing that faith, but it looks different now. And, and, you know, so how do we do that and how do we legitimize that as well? And and at the same time, keep, like, legitimate communities. I mean, having a community to be able to talk about your faith and share that with is important. But, 
I think that's one of the challenges, particularly when I talk about LGBT communities, you know, if in walking in the four sanctuary doors, there's nothing in that space that makes you feel comfortable and doesn't represent you. It, it makes it a real hurdle to get over. Yeah, there are a lot of people, just the the, the actual term church uh, has such a negative connotation for them. But if you can, you know, talk about what you're saying there, faith communities and whatever those look like. And they are changing. I think people are beginning to find ways that uh, in, in the same sense as the first church really got together, uh, there wasn't the same sort of uh, agenda that there there seems to be now a lot of times in in traditional kind of. Yeah, and I think it's it's an interesting point to ask ourselves. I mean, I, I've I've felt I've gotten more comfortable with it over the last three or four years. I mean, some people are really shocked when I say that I'm not a member of a specific church and that I don't go to church on every Sunday. Um, and that's a, you know even that you know that's offensive to some people because. You know, I, I can't, like, but it's, it's equally as difficult for me to imagine that, you know, by that I could just go to church on every Sunday and then that would somehow make me a Christian. Um, it's, you know, it's a catch-22 that I spend, you know, 24 hours a day, seven, no, maybe not 24 hours a day, but, you know, I spend a good portion of my life considering how my faith impacts what I do. Um, and I'm spending most of my time tending to it, and it becomes this exchange, like, oh, that's not enough because I wasn't in church on Sunday. It becomes a really interesting kind of dynamic, and I think that speaks for a lot of people trying to figure out what what does this faith expression mean, and what, what are the ways that we're supposed to exemplify it, and is church on Sunday really the measure of how we do that is, is a question that I've always kind of asked and, and prodded away at. Well, I've been around it for for gosh, you know, decades, and you can you can be active in a church and have community, or you can be very active in a church and still have absolutely no community. You just have a a place you attend, and uh, sure. people you, you're not ever really in community with them. And, and community is the challenge, and it seems to be you and I were talking about before we went on the air. The hunger now is people need a sense where of being around people they belong. Uh, they need their own. They need a tribe. They need community. And how would yeah. you define that in faith? That's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, to help encourage people to find that kind of place. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, can, I can hear the pastoral, I can hear a few pastors in my head right now. I mean, there, I mean there's an issue, you know, when, you, when we are talking about an issue of faith, it, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing when we realize that, you know, we do need to spend some time, like, what does it mean when we say that we are people of faith? What does it mean to talk about Christianity? And there's, it's not necessarily about making the rules, but, you know, you, you kind of want to stop short. I, I think that's a resistance of a lot of us. Do we, there are the discomfort of many Christians right now. I'm just going, I don't necessarily want to be lumped into that category with a bunch of people. I'm not interested in being part of a sect or a group or a club or a membership clause. But how did I, you know, how then in not being in that do I show my willingness to honor the space of what I'm in and what I'm learning and what I'm teaching. So it's issues of authority and and what we believe and how we believe that and express that becomes issues. And without authority, I can see the argument of many pastors in the universe saying, well, you're not a part of a church. You're not being taught the right way. You can't do that on your, your own. You can't be trusted to do that on your own. I think that's sometimes the suspicion of people who don't have those church communities is, you know, whether or not those folks take that seriously. And even when we do, um, that's that becomes the backhand of, you know, where then are we going to find that community to be able to practice in such a way that 
you know, shows an honor and respect for the, our, our tradition as much as it is um, an expression of who we are as, as people of faith. And Jesus seems to define that community as one that is uh, reaching out to the poor and the hungry and the prisoners. And I mean, you can go through the list, you know it. And that's where, you know, the, the authority comes from serving and the authority comes from being in community, doing those things with, uh, you know, really without asking a question, are we doing something good, but we're just doing it because it is the right thing to do. Yeah, I've never done, I've never been very good at um, doing the exact thing that was expected of me. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm kind of say I'm, I'm I'm a pretty good kid. I'm pretty square at the end of the day. But um, yeah, it's I, I it's it's a strange part of the experience that I've personally had is I don't I don't want to do something just because I said I want it. You know, everyone expected me to do it. Um, not in terms of rebellion, but more in terms of I, I want to do what I do with sincerity and with with integrity. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I kind of, unless I'm doing something, you know, if and when I'm going to church, I'm going to church because it's a place where I want to be in collective worship um, and that I'm honest about the conditions of, you know, of why I'm walking through those doors. Um, and so it, it makes it interesting to feel like the difference between the obligation of doing something because it's, you know, expected of you and doing something that's actually a worshipful experience. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just part of part of the process that I personally had to go through and I continue to wrestle with to this day. Well, there's just so much more uh, resonance when you're doing something, when it's out of the abundance of your heart. It's coming out of your heart. It's something you have the desire for rather than... Um, I ask this question to all my guests, and you can you can give me your any answer you want. You can go seminary on me if you want to get technical. But <laughs> who is Jesus? Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the second you say that, I think I think it's some something that I just somebody recently said to me was that you know in a, in a modern context. More of us are ha- even, and even people of faith are having a more difficult, an easier time remembering and being able to conceive of Jesus in, as as humanly, you know, the, the compassionate, um, at times suffering, um, turn the other cheek, you know, service type of humanity. I think that has been driving me a lot. It's much harder to imagine some days for me the divine implications of that. But yeah, I mean, for me, Jesus is a, a source of inspiration of who I could be perhaps on a better day than to say um, that, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't even, <laughs> that's about the best I can do for you oh, that's today. That's fine. That's fine. That's almost what <laughs> I wanted your answer. Uh, tell me about your new record. New record. Yeah. It's still in my imagination. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I've been working... Well, I'm getting ready to track in the studio next week, which is really exciting. I'm working with uh, Victor Krauss as my producer. Um, he, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, Victor Krauss is an amazing bass player. He's, done some, he's been tripping through Nashville for a good while and producing a few records here and there. And, um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Um I've I've just a lot of the new music that I've been kind of writing. I've been I've been describing as um fat and happy, um, which 
a great name for an album. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, every, yeah, I don't, yeah. That's, that's probably what I'm going to call the record, but we probably won't print that. <laughs> but you know, I've been, I've been, you know, one of the things I always get afraid of because I'm, I'm a pessimistic person. At the end of the day, I love it. It's great fuel for angsty songwriting. Um, and they always say, you know, falling in love is you know, totally threatens to ruin an artist's career because then when you're fat and happy, you don't really write songs that challenge, you know, and go to the dark places. But a lot of the stuff I've been working on is, is just really thinking about love and, and what that means. And at, at the end of the day, I find lo- love to be an incredibly costly, not in a bad way, but it, it's it's a labor at times, you know, of, of good effort and... Um, at times being sacrificial, at times being abundant and wonderful and joyful, and but it's you know it's not always roses. Sometimes love is really hard work, and it takes going you know the the, the the you know that quote the labor of love. And so, I think in some sense, not to sound like too Christiany about it, because the record is I don't think in any way remotely near having a contemplation of faith, but. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was just like the first Corinthians 13 type of love, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It keeps no records wrong. It's not boastful. You know, I was kind of trying to think through a bit of those elements as I'm contemplated about the experiences that I've had with love and some of the forms that they've taken in the music. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a bit of that rolling around in there, but it's, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. It's pretty, it's, for, for me, I'm kind of, and plus with the independent artist thing that I get to do now, I didn't really have to feel like there was any pressure for me to put a radio song out. So um, a lot of these songs are just being able to re- release myself to the poetry of it and the moment of it. So it's a little bit more contemplative album. I'm anticipating it sounding like it's going to be a little bit, you know, I don't feel like I'm pushing the rock and roll vibe on anything. I, I don't even know if I'm going to even have any electric guitars on this record. So. Um, I'm hoping sonically it's going to sound really earthy and rootsy and like you were hanging out in my front room while I was singing through some songs. Oh, that's cool. Victor's famous for his electric bass, isn't he? That, that's what I was, Pardon yeah, me? Isn't Victor famous for the electric bass? Is he going to get that? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, he's going to be playing a lot of upright bass on this oh, record. Cool. Um, I'm you, anticipating. What you said about, though, um, the, the the idea when you're when you're artistically shedding light on concepts of love then it, it is there is it's a spiritual there's something spiritual about that as well i mean it's not forced but it's still there it comes out yeah and i it's a bit of the liberty that you know kind of one of the reasons why i'm really grateful to not be inside you know having to write like say for christian music where the outcome generally has to speak towards you know some spiritual um christian god moment um, God does this, and you have to say it, and you have to spell it out. And instead, it's just being able to tell the story in the situation. I mean, not everything happen, you know, not everything in life happens in church in the form of a sermon. <laughs> life just isn't that way. But we find, you know, and I, I certainly hope this. I, I've it's kind of been my secret hope that in you know the the good things about my faith and show up in my art and the passion that my faith has taught me shows up in the things that I express. Um, you know, you plant a seed and you hope, you know, it bears good fruit. And I don't necessarily, you know, I think, you know, Christians would probably be very familiar with 
some of the concepts within the music, but the outcome isn't meant to be a propaganda for the, you know, the, the faith experience or for the specifically for any Christian experience. I'd I'd be really disappointed if that's what people felt like they heard when they came to a record. Um, I just, uh, you know, my faith informs me and it lets me see beautiful things in the world, but I don't necessarily think the same beautiful things that I look look on will be, you know, that somebody will have been taught the same way as me or, or be taught to, or forced to view it the same way. I just hope we get to share in that joy and those, those moments that are lovely um, together, however we come to them. So you've got, you're working on the record now, um, and uh, what what's next for you? What have you got planned? You're going to seminary, working on the record, you've already got too much to do. What else you got going on, Jennifer? <laughs> yeah, I do have a, a bit going on. Um, yeah, well, uh, so yeah, the record's, the record's happening. I'm recording this fall. Um, I'll be in uh, the Divinity Program here for a, until the, the spring of 2018, so that's like a two-year process for me. And then in the summer, we'll release the record sometime in the spring, and then over the summer I'll tour as heavily as I can in support of this record, and uh, hopefully on the on the cards as well. In next year, I'll be attending and and speaking some more on behalf of some LGBT inclusion communities out in in the you know out there. So it's it's a couple of ways that I tend to work. I'm either speaking on behalf of the LGBT. Uh, advocacy going now I'm a student and I'm still an artist so yeah there's a lot on my plate uh, and again you can find out everything that I'm doing off of jennifernatt.com well Jennifer I appreciate your time today and I wish you well in all that you're working on and all you're doing and I appreciate the fact that you are getting out and spreading some light all right th- thanks Greg I really appreciate it man Jennifer's book um Facing the Music, My Story is available on Amazon, and so are her records. There will be links to all of her music and her book on the thinkinggod.com website, so I hope you'll check it out there. And she has a great voice, and uh, as I mentioned to her when I was talking to her earlier, that I think she has a, a combination of, of, of a number of people I hear in that voice, and it, it uh, but it's, it's got a, a powerful, unique sound of its own. And as always, we're grateful to have people to talk to who are out spreading light and hope. And hope you'll join us again next week on the Thinking God podcast. We'll be back on schedule. And my guest will be Greg Boyd. So I know you look forward to talking to him. He he is a very unique voice and a man with a lot to say and, and a lot that needs to be heard. And finally, I want to thank everybody who's continued to email and text and uh, write us about Thinking God Podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests, we're lining them up for 2017 now. And we've got a lot of good ideas already have been thrown our way. And a lot of good comments, a lot of constructive comments. I appreciate everyone who has taken time to respond to your reactions to Thinking God Podcast, pro and kind. And look forward to bringing more voices of hope and light in this year ahead and in the years ahead.